Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated. Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. I'm Dan Malthrop. I'm the chief executive here, also a proud member. And today is September 11th. You're with the Virtual City Club Forum live from the studios of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. They are our public media partner. Big thanks to them and big thanks to you as well for your support of 90.3 WCPN IdeaStream. If you haven't already supported, just check them out at ideastream.org. On to our topic today, Ohio's arts and culture institutions are part of a $41 billion industry, one that has been disproportionately affected by the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Live music, entertainment venues, and other performing arts spaces were among the first to close to, present, to prevent rather, the spread of the disease, and they will also likely be the last to reopen. Their future is uncertain. A recent poll by the National Independent Venue Association, also known as NEVA, found that the owners of 90% of independent venues are expecting to close within the next few months if they do not receive some sort of public aid. For those that make it, many experts are forecasting a three-year to five-year recovery period. In response to what could be seen as a crisis, the Save Our Stages movement was born, spearheaded by NEVA, to advocate for federal relief for theaters, entertainment venues, and performance spaces. In July, the $10 billion bipartisan Save Our Stages Act was introduced in the Senate, and this week both Ohio Senators Sherrod Brown and Rob Portman have signed on to be co-sponsors of the bill. But as negotiations regarding relief packages continue to stall in both the Congress and the Senate, the future of this bill and just about every federal relief bill remains uncertain. So today we're going to talk with a few statewide and local leaders and advocates and activists and artists who are thinking about not only the preservation of our local stages, but also the future for artists, musicians, and performers who contribute mightily to our economy and our collective humanity. Joining us today, Kyle Kidd, performer and musician and vocalist for Morning a Black Star, Angela Maleka, who is executive director at Ohio Citizens for the Arts, and Sean Watterson, co-owner of The Happy Dog and also Ohio Precinct Captain for NEVA. Welcome to all of you. It's great to see you. Great to have you with us. And as in every City Club forum, you can participate with your questions. Text them to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Or tweet them if you're on Twitter. Just tweet them at the City Club and we'll work them into our program. A couple of quick disclosures. Uh, Sean Watterson and the Happy Dog are big partners of the City Club. They are part of our Happy Dog Takes on the World series, our monthly series, first Tuesday of every month. And I should note, too, that I serve on the board of the Border Light Theater Festival, the Festival of International Theater. And so that makes me a little bit more interested than, than I might otherwise be in the future of all of this. Uh, Angela Maleka of, the, of Ohio Citizens for the Arts, there's been a lot of movement on this issue just this week. And I wonder if you could um, just catch us up. What is happening with the Save Our Stages Act? Well, I would describe the movement as hurry up and wait. Um, we did have some action yesterday in, uh, in, at Congress in D.C. Uh, regarding what they were couching as a skinny relief package that did not uh, that got voted down 
um, and it's uncertain whether that will move forward before the election or not. Um, we continue to focus as a, a statewide advocacy organization on uh, funding in Ohio. Um, as you know, the federal government sent about a little over $4 billion to the state of Ohio. Um, much of that has already been distributed and earmarked. Um, there's legislation that passed the state Senate um, last week, um, pushing $650 million to local municipalities. Um, that currently sits in the Ohio House, and we're uncertain when and if that will get passed, and that will then again go to local municipalities. There are no earmarks or anything in that legislation, so that would be up to local governments to decide um, how they would distribute those funds. But you did set this up perfectly. Um, arts and culture in Ohio is a $41 billion industry. Uh, we employ nearly 300,000. What that equals to the Cleveland, Cleveland generates about $9 billion a year in economic activity and arts and culture, you employ over 60,000. We're currently the highest unemployed sector in the state. Um, we, as you said, we're the first to get shut down. Uh, we'll likely be the last to reopen. The majority of our members are still closed. So imagine any business that's been forced to close to the public for six months, generating no uh, income, no earned revenue. Uh, the, the possibility of reopening, um, even at full capacity, but as we well know, we'll probably face limited capacity for months. Um, the chances of survival and reopening without any funding or aid is very unlikely. And we're talking about iconic anchor institutions. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just uh, announced a few weeks ago 40% layoff, 50% uh, loss in earned revenue. Um, Playhouse Square. Playhouse Square is the largest theater district outside of New York City. They have the most uh, subscribers in the country. Uh, they've been shuttered since March. Broadway's not touring. Um, Cleveland Orchestra, Cleveland Museum. You have so many iconic institutions in your region that are, you know, are, are standing at a cliff. And so now's the time that the state needs to act. We certainly need the federal government to act. But we are advocating um, strongly at the state level that they recognize the economic impact that arts and culture has, not only within our sector, but the large footprint that we provide to um, support restaurants and bars, the travel industry, hotels, lodging. And so we really need this sector to survive in order to help Ohio's economy come back. Angela Malaka is the uh, executive director of Ohio Citizens for the Arts and Advocacy Organization, deeply involved in this effort to shore up the and, and save independent venues. Sean Watterson owns an independent venue, co-owner of the Happy Dog, uh, in the Detroit Shoreway neighborhood, also known as the Gordon Square Arts District, Sean, can you just tell us the story of how what what the what COVID has meant to the Happy Dog? Sure. Um, well, we closed uh, the night of March fifteenth, and we haven't opened since. We had to lay everyone on staff off. Um, in addition, we host over 2,000 musicians a year, and those are paid gigs, and all of those have dried up. Um, we've focused our fundraising efforts so far on support for our staff, um, but because we can't be open uh, in any meaningful way, and we can talk about the, the performing arts guidance that the, the state has put out, the 15% uh, capacity uh, numbers and why those don't work. But um, because of that, we've really focused our attention on partnering up with other 
people in our position. Uh, and that's really where um, the National Independent Venue Association came into being uh, as a reaction to uh, the COVID shutdown and the job loss and, uh, uh, and the impact across the industry across the country. Sean Watterson, before we get to Neva, I want to understand just a little better. You said that the performing arts guidelines are sort of not enough to allow you to open, or you alluded to that. And I want, I'd like to ask you to just explain why. Sure. Um, the guidelines uh, that, the, that the governor issued, uh, say for the performing arts, uh, capacity is limited to 15% with a maximum number of people at an indoor space of 300 and an outdoor space at 1500. Um, and the science on that um, is, is not really what's at question. It's, the, it's the, the ability to actually make that work in practical terms. You know, speaking as the happy dog, um, that's based on fixed seating capacity. Our fixed seating capacity at the happy dog is 105 seats. 15% of that is 16 people, but you have to count the four people in the band, the sound engineer, the bartender, and the person in the kitchen in that, in that 16 number. So for us to have a performance like that, you're talking about having nine patrons, and it's just not financially viable. And you can scale that up in bigger spaces, but the, the fixed costs of operating and paying the artists um, don't scale down just because the capacity has been scaled down. Thanks for explaining that, Sean. I, I think it's also important to note that you're one of the the few venues that uh, Happy Dog is one of the few venues that really support emerging music musical artists because you pass along 100% of the door to the artists themselves rather than taking a chunk out of that. Um, Kyle Kidd. Turning to you for a moment and mourning a black star and the rest of the work that you do, there are, I assume you too have not ha performed in front of a live audience since March. Yeah, it's been um, pretty difficult. Um, so I was able to do um, one performance with Mourning a Black Star. We did a front yard performance um, that was hosted by the Panza Foundation. Um, and it was social distance along the street. Um, actually, Sean was able to join that performance. But other than that, there have not been any other performances other than virtual performances. So um, that's been a struggle just because, you know, as a live performer, it, it's all about the, um, the essence of the space and, you know, having the audience and the, you know, there to, it, it's an exchange of energy and, you know, that whole experience. So. Yeah, it's been it's been probably about well actually before March, honestly, because I was traveling. Um, and so as the as many different places started to shut down where I was uh, before all of this happened, I was in New York. And so it came, you know, from my manager at the time, like, oh, this is being shut down. So as soon as you're done with the work that you're doing in New York, you know, you have to come home. Um, and so within 72 hours, um, my full year of, of gigs were canceled. Um, whether it be um, locally, nationally, or internationally. So um, that was a hard hit, you know, as an artist of just, you know, not having the uncertainty of, you know, just the um, how being an artist, a full-time artist is, you know, you depend specifically on gigs and having that calendar set. And so within 72 hours, my year was gone. What have you done to replace that income for yourself? 
Uh, it's it's kind of been all over the place. Um, I've had to uh, be creative and, um, you know, create other things. So right now I'm trying to launch a merch line um, and supporting, um, you know, putting things out through my Patreon, um, engaging with uh, my fan base, um, you know, the, the fan base of Morning a Black Star and my, my fan base, specifically in my solo division, about what it is that they would like to have. Um, so it's just kind of been asking what 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 I can bring to the table that they would be interested in supporting. Um, and that's been in a lot of different ways. Um, I just recently signed back on um, to go through the academic school year with Roots of American Music, who I've uh, been in partnership for the past two years. So that hopefully will offset some of the um, some of you know, and support what I need to keep my head above water um, until we kind of figure out how I can get back on the road and do live performances again. And you mentioned Patreon, and we should note that that's a, an online platform for artists to connect directly with their patrons, with people who yes. can support them uh, through cash contributions, um, yes. kind of similar to Substack for writers or something of, of that sort. Yes. Sean Watterson, um, the organization that you've been organizing for in Ohio, NEVA, the National Independent Venue Association, um, didn't exist seven months ago. No, um, even the idea of it didn't exist. Uh, liter literally what had happened was uh, a, a group called the Independent Venue Week, um, which tried to get venues together uh, one week a year to put on performances kind of supporting live music, realized very quickly from the 150 or so clubs that they had been working with that there was a need to organize and, and get our voice heard because we're really those small independents and we're, we're technically for-profit, but we're in a, a very tight spot when it comes, even in the good times, to keeping, keeping things running. So very quickly, uh, Neva came into existence uh, out of those initial calls with Independent Venue Week, and we went from 250 initial members to over 2,800 members nationally, um, and over 100 members across the state of Ohio in under six months. And in that time, um, we've, we've put this Save Our Stages campaign out there and SaveOurStages.com to get people to reach out to their legislators at the federal level to say, hey, these people need support. This is, these are jobs, these are, these are careers, um, these are independent small businesses. And we've managed to get almost 2 million messages out to Congress, um, over 80,000 here in Ohio alone. Uh, it's pretty incredible for an organization that didn't exist six months ago. That is some remarkable advocacy, and yet the Save Our Stages Act is still blocked, or still hasn't 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 moved very far or very much. The I think it's important. It feels like there's a piece of this that is so important to understand that if if the Happy Dog were to disappear, and if the Beachland Ballroom were to disappear, and if but, I mean, we're talking about not just those organizations or those institutions, and they are really institutions, um, but we're also talking about play, as you said earlier, Angela, Playhouse Square and Severance Hall. These are all independent venues. It's the whole range of of places with stages that um, that people share their their talents on. Um, it's it's not something that can just be replaced. Sean, the 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 CARES Act funding, 
the Paycheck Protection Program loan and um, and the SBA funding, other forms of SBA funding that were made available back in March and April and May. Um, why didn't those work for independent venues? Well, they worked as long as, as they were designed to work for. Um, but really, they didn't work well for us because we weren't able to be open. One of the key things about the payroll protection program was um, that was money intended to cover two and a half months worth of payroll and operating expenses. Um, if you couldn't be open, you couldn't, you couldn't find things, you could try and find things for people to do, renovations and stuff like that, but it's not the jobs that they had. Um, and then when you look at the, the other kind of funding that was available, that, those, are, those are loans. And it's great that they're available and it's great that they're low interest. Um, but the reality is our business is a low margin business anyway. When, when we're able to reopen, we aren't going to be able to make up for the six months or 12 months or 18 months that we were closed by doing two, three or four times our usual business. If you've been in the Happy Dog on the weekend for a morning of Black Star show, you know it's already packed. We can't put more people in there. Um, so while those were great lifelines initially, and we understand, you know, it was it was a reaction. Um, the usefulness of those programs were weren't targeted to different industries, and and it's why we put all this effort into originally the Restart Act, and then uh, the more targeted Save Our Stages Act. Um, because it will provide us the flexibility to to get back to being open and get back to being the neighborhood anchors. We're really neighborhood anchor institutions when you think about it. When you think about the Waterloo Arts District, it's the beachland that drives people there. Same thing on Coventry with the Grog Shop. You look at the Gordon Square Arts District, it's not just us, it's Cleveland Public Theater and the Near West Theater, it's the performing arts that drive a lot of that. And that's just the economic side of it. Yeah, not not the, the not the, the sort of, of the culture side and the and the feeling yeah. of belonging that that comes from being able to walk to your neighborhood bar and take in either a civic conversation or musical performance. Angela Maleka, in looking out across Ohio at the the hundreds of independent venues who are in similar straits, have any of them figured it out? I mean, did any of them find a, a bridge over the summer through outdoor performances or socially distanced performances or, you know, picnic benches or anything? Well, Dan, unfortunately, no one's been allowed to figure it out. Um, I, I have the luxury, I should say, of speaking with these organizations every day. Um, they're members of my organization, and I, uh, you know, work on behalf of their benefit. And I have been um, awed at the determination and the perseverance um, the tenacity, but also the the um, drastic and keen and prudent business decisions that they've made. I mean, Sean is a perfect example. Um, these are businesses. We don't have an arts crisis in Ohio. We have a business crisis in Ohio. The business just happens to be in the creative industry. Um, and, and so these organizations, while bleeding money daily, um, again, highest sector of unemployment rate, um, they're still concerned about 
absolutely safety for their staff and patrons, but contributing to community. I mean, these organizations don't have licensing fees like sporting uh, entities do. You know, they can't, when they stream, they're not generating revenue from that. Um, these industries, uh, like our friends at the restaurants, they don't have carryout. So there's no carryout in the arts. There's no licensing fees. Anything that they're generating now is um, is a contribution to community. And, you know, these are... Um, you know, these are organizations that, that are worth the state investing in. And so, um, you know, they haven't had the ability to really come back. There are limited outdoor performing um, theaters going on when a local health department gives the okay, but they're not at the capacity that they're uh, near breaking even. And the majority, I should say, they're free performance. They just want to contribute to community. Kyle Kidd, as an artist, you've done some, you, you mentioned you did one outdoor sort of backyard or front yard concert, um, and I assume you've probably done a couple of Zoom concerts or that, that sort of thing. How does it feel to you? Is it, I mean, do you, is it, is it anything? Is it helpful? Is it, I mean, because I know that, that the pursuit of the arts is a, it's a, a performance, it's a spiritual thing, it's, a, it's, it, it's, it's about your soul. It is. Um... It, it, it has been um, really hard. Um, it's gotten better, I guess, um, because it's um, it's not looking for things to go back to normal anymore. It's like accepting what the reality is. Um, and so I, just for instance, um, when I did my first Zoom um, concert, it was, you know, here I am trying to do what I would do at a live show. And it's just like not registering. It's not, you know, um, it wasn't successful on my end as a vocalist because we're paying attention to, you know, the, the sound quality and all of that to create the experience. And it just wasn't what I needed it to be. And so um, it's been really, really hard. And to not have the crowd or have people there to engage with and, you know, really be able to um, to gauge like which direction I need to take a show or, you know, what's needed in order to create this experience. Um, so it's been really, really hard. And as I'm talking to other um, local artists and uh, friends in different places who haven't been able to perform or had, have had the same experience, you know, it's really a downer um, because we don't know what it's going to look like. And, you know, here I am. I've written probably almost two albums since I've been at home. And it's like, you know, how do I how do I. Is it smart for me to go ahead and record those and try and. Um, put those out or, you know, try and see what it's going to do. Morning a Black Star put out an album May 15th and it has been successful, um, you know, people supporting us and um, purchasing the album and trying to engage with us the way that they can. But, you know, as an, as an artist, you put out an album, you're, you know, however you decide to do it, you prepare to go on tour, to tour the album, and that's how you sell it. That's how you make your money and you go from there. Well, that hasn't been the case. So that's been a downer as well, because it's like, we have this really good album that, you know, we just got covered by The Wire and, you know, our fan base has grown tremendously and we can't really grasp, like, <clears throat> excuse me, how to engage with these, um, these, you know, our existing fan base, but our fan base that's new into the, this community that we've created. So um, it, it's just been really, really hard. And I don't really have like 
really a, a lot of words to describe the feeling of it. But um, it's a, it's an eerie feeling, and um, like I said, it's not looking, it's not any like looking to get back to normal anymore because normal isn't serving us right now. It's like trying to figure out where do we go next and what does the future look like, and you know, is it virtual concerts from here on out? You know, is it um, social, socially distanced concerts going forward and, you know, front yards, backyards, patios. And that's a little disheartening because I'm from the theater as well. You know, the shoulder to shoulder, leaning over to your friend like, oh, my God, did you see those lights? Did you see that? That it's really disheartening to not be able to say like, oh, this is the date that this is going to happen again. Kyle Kidd is an artist and performer with Morning of Black Star, also independently um, find out more about Kyle Kidd's music uh, through our website. I think we have some links as well. Um, Sean Watterson is with us. He's the co-owner of The Happy Dog, Angela Maleka of the Ohio, of Ohio Citizens for the Arts. She's executive director there, is with us. And we're talking today about the Save Our Stages Act, about what needs to happen in this uh, pandemic moment for independent venues that are more than just uh, the corner bar, but the corner bar, not that the corner bar is not important, Sean, um, but uh, but they are the um, anchor institutions of our neighborhoods. They help to provide a space for the arts to engage all of us and to really connect with our very humanity. I'm Dan Malthrop here with the City Club Friday Forum. If you have a question, please tweet it at the City Club or text it to 330-541-5794. That's 330-541-5794. Angela Maleka, the um, the restrictions for gatherings uh, in Ohio remain at uh, 10 people if you're doing something independently and sort of a- allegedly 300 people if you're hosting a wedding or something like that at the convention center where you can appropriately distance people. Um, what are other states doing and what are you hearing from your colleagues across the country in terms of how independent venues are allowed to manage these various challenges? Well, you know, we first we appreciate the Governor DeWine and the administration's effort through all this and, and his leadership. And, and, you know, as we're all experiencing what's next, you know, to, to kind of predict what's going to happen next has been very difficult. Um, and so each state um, kind of watches one another, but there are some that are doing things uh, more independently, if you will, than others. Uh, my our friends in Utah, for example, um, they've received uh, upwards to about $50 million in CARES funding for arts and culture venues um, and businesses. But they've also come back. Theaters have opened uh, in Utah, and they, they opened in June, and they're sitting shoulder to shoulder in theaters. They have to wear masks, but there have been no audience transmissions recorded. Um, Audi- wait, audi- you're saying audiences are sitting shoulder to shoulder, masked, and enjoying? I went to a Shakespeare festival in Utah once, and I suppose that's the sort of thing that's happening. It was outdoors. Um, but the, but this is also an indoor environment? Yes, yep, indoors. And so when when we hear that, we certainly take note, and our friends in Texas and California, you know, want to learn from those as well. Um, Oregon is another state that they've really been a leader in um, providing CARES funding for arts and culture venues. Um, And so there's no, uh, as we've been saying to the administration, there's no one size fits all. Each venue is unique in itself. We all recognize the social distancing and the masks are certainly important. Um, and so I would say that you find that across the country, that there's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, but again, Utah is, is a model as far as coming back, attending theater, 
masks are required. We hear more now every day from the CDC and public health officials that masks um, do help and some of the, the distancing. So, um, you know, these are certainly uh, protocols that our institutions are ready to institute or and, and put in place once they're allowed to. Sean Waterston, what are you hearing from other independent venues that are similar to the Happy Dog? Um, there are different rules in in different states, and um, even within bar and restaurant, rules differing. Um, I know down in Florida, bars had been closed, uh, and then restaurants had started presenting music, and that was a frustration for for a lot of the live music venues down there. But one positive thing we're seeing is um, not just at the state level. The state level has been incredible that there's been actual support for um, the arts broadly, not just defined as, as nonprofit arts organizations, but, but realizing that the individual artists and the independent venues are part of this ecosystem. Um, so like Angela was saying about uh, Oregon and Utah and Montana have all uh, moved at the state level. But what we're also seeing is um, cities uh, like Austin and Nashville are, are stepping up and using the federal coronavirus dollars that they've received to support um, the artists and the arts-based businesses in addition to the nonprofits. Are they Last, doing so, Sean, are they doing so with grants, yeah. with direct grants to artists and direct grants to businesses? They are. And that either pass through grants through, through an entity that can pass them through, but when you look at the U.S. Treasury guidance on the coronavirus relief funds that state and locals have received, it's, it's right in there in the, in the guidance that the money is to be used, at, at least in part, for business interruption grants for small businesses, which, which falls on both sides of the tax ledger, whether you're for-profit or not-for-profit. Um, so it's, it's right there in the guidance, and, and that's why they're seeing success. Nashville approved $2 million for local venues, um, specifically live music venues. Uh, Sacramento, $6.9 million. Austin approved uh, several million. We've seen, we've seen it in cities like Memphis, um, Indianapolis. Um, and we're part of an ask at the county level because Cuyahoga County received $215 million in coronavirus relief funds from, from the feds. Um, and what's great about the ask that we've made is that it was it was a collaborative ask. It was an ask on behalf of the individual artists and the nonprofits and the for-profit venues. Um, I think it's a great indication of the kind of leadership we've got here when it comes to looking at the art sector. Um, Sean, so the way you're talking about it fingers. makes it sound as though the county has agreed to to direct some funds in the direction that you're hoping. Is that the case, or are you still asking? Um, we're still asking, and uh, we're hopeful. We've had, we've had some conversations of late. Um, you know, we understand there are a lot of people hurting right now. Um, but like Angela said, this isn't just arts. This is, this is a business sector a creative business sector then is impacted. So we're hopeful uh, that the conversations are ongoing. If you want to talk to your county council person and say, hey, 
look out for the arts. Is that is that um, where the is that is that kind that. of where the 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 sort of intervention, the citizen intervention, should occur at the county council level, or is it the county executive? Not to put anyone on um, Front Street, but they ran for the office, so let's let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> well, any any of the elected officials, mm-hmm. up and down the line, because you know the county council and the county executive all need to be involved in the decision making on how to distribute those dollars but then also at the state level talking to our state reps and our state senators and letting them know hey this is important if there's an ask out there please support it angela what is the holdup, or where are the specific kind of buttons that need to be pressed or levers that need to be pressed at the state level right now well, you know, I will say um, we we have proved that advocacy does work, right, Sean? So as of, you know, yesterday, getting both Senator Portman and Senator Brown to co-sign the Save Our Stages Act at the federal level was a really wonderful success. Um, two weeks ago, they were in support, but they weren't agreeing to co-sign. And I, I give credit to, I mean, Sean's unbelievable grassroots tenacity um, he, he needs to do a master class on how you become an advocate and, and build the grassroots. And that's really what we need at a state level now. Um, we need to step up um, to the governor and administration. You know, they're hearing us. Um, Sean also indicated, you know, there's a lot of need out there, and we recognize that. What I'm afraid of is that if we don't get funding significant, meaningful funding, these anchor institutions that we talk about, not only Happy Dog, but we can go on up to the, you know, Playhouse Square and, and um, you know, the orchestra. Um, these are the, the same institutions that our local and state leaders use to tout um, economic development, to attract jobs to retain jobs. So when we talk about quality of life, when we look at now, you know, I think I heard a couple weeks ago that Ohio's prime to attract jobs from both coasts and, and Chicago, because everyone's getting comfortable with working remotely and you can access both coasts easily from Ohio. And I know that, that we use these institutions as ways to attract business. But unfortunately, if we don't Save these organizations, give them a lifeline. You know, it's a fraction of, uh, you know, we're asking for a fraction of, of what their budgets are just to get them through so we can be there to attract those jobs, to be that economic driver in communities. Otherwise, you know, we face losing half of these organizations that, Dan, you mentioned earlier, you know, these take decades to build. Um, you know, it's like orchestras take decades to be a world-class orchestra that doesn't just happen. And if that goes away, you'll never get that back. So these are this is a really dire time. It's a once-in-a-lifetime crisis that the ecosystem, including the Sean and Kyles of the world that just build up, um, it's, it's critical time now. And, and so, yes, contact the governor, contact your local state representative, contact your local authorities because we know there's 650 million dollars sitting at the the state house it's going to be pushed down to local municipalities soon and they have to spend this money by the end of the year or it goes back to the federal government so we need voices you know um and and the more voices that that uh, we can raise they'll listen and they're starting to pay attention 
This is actually a really fascinating thing when you think about $650 million that that ever, they're mandated to push down to local levels um, and this huge need that you all have pointed to. Um, Angela, sticking with you for a second, and, and Sean as well about the Save Our Stages Act, we've been asked, what can we as community members do at this point to support the legislation? I'm grateful that our Ohio senators signed on to support this. Where is it in the House of Representatives? Sure, I, I'm happy to take that one. I, I know that um, right now we have over 100 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives. Um, speaking for Ohio, uh, the two that are signed on to the Save Our Stages Act as co-sponsors are Marsha Fudge. She was the first in the state to sign on to both Save Our Stages and Restart. And um, Tim Ryan uh, has also signed on. We do have some bipartisan support when it comes to the Restart Act. Anthony Gonzalez is signed on as a co-sponsor to Restart, in addition to Marcy Kaptur and Joyce Beatty down in Columbus. So the other four besides Joyce Beatty, we should mention, are all Northeast Ohio and Northern Ohio congressional reps. Um, there's still uh, 11 other congressional reps in Ohio. Angela, what, where are they standing on this? Surely they enjoy theaters. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, as Sean said, none of them publicly are coming out saying that they would co-sponsor. Uh, my suggestion would be that you reach out, tweet, email, call. Um, and do the, do it often and, and express the importance and not only the, the public value that these organizations and institutions provide, the quality of life, but the economic dependence, dependency that we're on. You know, these are, these are real people who are out of work, can't provide for their family. You know, these are real jobs and real people, and they, they want to get back to work. Um, we understand for health concerns that they can't get back to work. There's no reason why they shouldn't be um, looked upon uh, equally within industry sector as universities and hospitals and schools, et cetera. So, you know, please reach yeah. out to your local state representatives for, and ask them to support. Sean, go ahead. I, I want to point out, too, um, sort of in tandem with the Save Our Stages campaign, we still want to see pandemic unemployment assistance um, continued because when you think about all of the musicians in the gig economy, um, they're putting together income streams through multiple sources. Many of them are working in the hospitality industry. That has been taken away. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a key component to keeping them afloat. And it's also a key component because for those who would say, well, you know, if they all end up going and being Amazon drivers, you know, that's just a shift of economy. And when things come back, things come back. When you lose these people out of this industry, when you lose this talent, you lose that permanently. I mean, trying to rebuild that, trying to rebuild that talent factor when people have had to leave this industry to make a living because they don't have the pandemic unemployment assistance to keep them going until this industry can come back, that, that's going to be a huge talent gap. And that is going to make the recovery that much longer and that much harder. Um, so whenever we talk Save Our Stages, we also uh, make sure that we, we mention pandemic unemployment assistance because it is so key to so many of the people in our industry being able to have a future in the industry. 
Uh, I wanted to mention a few months ago we had Senator, State Senators Matt Dolan and Nikki Antonio uh, as our guests on the forum. And if you're listening or watching right now and wondering who should I reach out to at the state level, those are two who I believe we spoke about specifically at one point during the program, we, during the forum, we spoke specifically about what about arts institutions, what about the arts and culture venues and performers. Um, so uh, they, it would not be a misplaced call or a misplaced email or tweet to reach out to those two senators who both represent parts of Cuyahoga County. Kyle Kidd, um, Sean Watterson just mentioned the, uh, the, the pandemic unemployment assistance, the extra boost. Was, that, was the unemployment and, and the way that worked, was that critical to you in the, in the beginning of the pandemic? Yes, um, it, it really was um, because, like I said before, um, all of my streams of income, like Sean said, like you're not just always touring or performing. You know, I was working at a restaurant um, on my downtime as well as um, working with Roots of American Music, which is, um, you know, as a teaching artist going into schools, providing education around music and how to write music and, you know, just the fundamentals of music. So um, I didn't just have one um form of income from performing coming in. Um, so when the pan pandemic relief um, with unemployment came, it really helped offset some of the worries that I had about like keeping my head above water and continuing for forward, but also put me in a position to plan accordingly um, so that I can have, you know, um, funds to support, you know, that middle ground until things were figured out. Um, I also want to say, just to add on to what Sean was saying, you know, these institutions are so important in many different ways because um, also Angela said this, um, it's, it's, it's building on to the culture of our communities. And so me specifically working with youth and young adults in the schools, you know, it's a part of the curriculum, um, whether it's a book that they're reading or um, something that they're specifically focusing on, they utilize Playhouse Square. Um, to go see um, Romeo and Juliet, if that's the book, or Macbeth, if that's the book that they're reading, or going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is a partner of Roots of American Music, along with the Maltz Museum of Jewish Heritage. That's how um, the Stop the Hate program is even a thing. Those three organizations collaborating together. And we take the students into the Maltz Museum to talk about current issues that are happening within our communities and across the nation. And they go to the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and get a whole nother um, educational experience talking about how music um, and the arts have driven us through these times of struggle. Um, so to take that away and for it not to be accessible to our young people, we're really talking about um, a setback for the future. If we're talking about the talent gap, some of these young people who are in programs specifically focusing, focusing on trade programs just to get them in the workforce, they're missing out on arts and culture in the schools. So for it not to even be an extracurricular thing that they're doing on weekends or for their family to enjoy or for them to just go, you know, for me, um, I wasn't the, the most hyped or excited about doing math or science, but I knew I could go and be a part of my school's um, arts program, whether that be visual arts or music. And then they, they you know, pushed me in the direction of being involved in play, the Playhouse Square and 
um, going into musical theater as the actual thing that I can do as a young adult, as a profession and a career, which is why I'm here. So I think that that's a big piece that has to be put in there as well. And for people to understand, like, you know, individuals like us, adults, you know, who we've made a career of this. Yes, we're struggling. But think about the struggle of the youth and young adults who are transitioning out of being adolescents and they're trying to figure out where they belong in the world and what that means. Um, and we all know it just takes one interaction with something that grabs your heart or grabs your spirit to say, this is where I need to be. This is where, this is my wheelhouse and I can excel and thrive. Um, and I think that that's a, that's a large piece. When we're talking about the economics, we equally need to talk about the culture and what it's doing for our young people and the future, you know. Kyle Kidd is with Morning and Black Star, also a performer as well. And uh, you're with the City Club Friday Forum. I'm Dan Maltrop. Our other guests uh, with our forum today, at our forum today, are Angela Maleka of Ohio Citizens for the Arts. She's executive director there. And Sean Watterson of Happy Dog and also the National Independent Venue Association. You can send questions uh, to 330-541-5794. Just text them to 330-541-5794 or tweet them at the City Club, and we will work them in. Kyle, uh, in regards to the comment about Utah and masks for the audience, that's one thing. But how do you mask performers and artists? You don't. <laughs> um, it's, it's really, really hard. And so Morning of Black Star, um, we just recently received the Spaces um, grant, which is partnered with the Andy Warhol. Um, I hope I'm saying it right. Um, we got their satellite grant. And so with that, because we weren't allowed, uh, able to do live shows, we decided to um, do a Morning of Black Star residencies um, type of uh, series. It'll be a, a short series. Um, and with that, um, we were trying to, at the beginning, say, just talk about like, what does that look like? Do we invite, do we invite small audiences? Um, and do we like use our mouths, like do we sing with our mouths covered? And it just didn't register when we were trying to, um, you know, put that all together. And so that's been a hard part too, because the instrumentalists are all, you know, um, their mouths are covered, but the vocalist and the horn players, because we have a whole horn section, it's just not possible. So to hear um, how Utah is, you know, fully going forward, um, I'm, you know, I'm itching to get in that space where we can do that because it's a, it's the essence, it's a part of the experience to be in that space and um, just off, you know, it's it's an offering and for people to come and enjoy. Um, that and still maintain some type of safety and everybody feeling comfortable. Um, you know, after I'm done singing, I put my mask right back on and sometimes I forget, but you know, um, it's just, a, it's a new norm. And so um, it's been, it's been hard kind of going there because I'm always talking and I'm always singing. <laughs> Angela Maleka, I know that uh, some theaters around the world have try have approached this with uh, different, different kinds of creativity including the uh, plastic screens as part of the set. Talk about that a little bit, if you could. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, Germany, I think they're saying, come back to the symphony and the operas and wear masks. And, and because you're not at a sporting event where you're screaming and, and projecting that, that, that is a, as an audience standpoint. But there, there are entities across Ohio that have invested their own money in these protective measures. There's a theater performing arts theater in Columbus 
that they've put plexiglass in between they've, the seats where they have have people seated as two. Um, they've put plexiglass between the stage and the audience. Um, Kyle, there's a Children's Theater of Cincinnati. When they do, they've actually come up to where they're doing musicals and they're making masks a part of their costume. So yes. they're they record the, the track and then they play that back through the speaker and they just act out and keep the masks on and have that as part of the costume um, when they can come back and perform. They're, they're not back yet. So all of these organizations are coming up with creative ways to be um, ticketless. Um, they talk about not congregating in lobbies, um, not having intermissions. So a lot of them are, are pivoting and having shorter performances. So rather than having an hour and a half or two hour long production, they're shortening that. Um, they're looking at doing solo or two people performance where you can socially distance on stage. Um, but all of these uh, components, both in front of the stage, within the audience and behind stage, they all have protocols that they've worked through. Um, to set up and are ready to go when they're allowed and, and have the permission to come back and, and put these performances on. I should say one thing, too, that that um, some might not think about is, especially with performing arts, um, as with most business, you can't just come back in and, and flip the light switch on. Um, these businesses need three to four months lead time to know um, that they can come back and, and then even that is an expense, right, to, to, to start production back up again. And then the promoting to even get people out. So the frustration is today, but it's also January because we know now that we're shut down in September. We know nothing could happen. Um, the earliest would probably be February or March. So um, in performing arts, we're looking six months out as the earliest if we're dead in the water right now. Sean Watterson, yeah. uh, go ahead. You wanted to answer that question as well. Well, I was I was going to say, you know, the 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 touring acts are not going to go on tour until they know that they can they can make a tour work, mm -hmm. uh, that that it's going to be safe, and that there are enough states where they can perform, where they can draw an audience. That's piece of it. That's a piece of it. Um, two, it's it's great to think about all of these innovations to get through this time all of them mean operating at much below what the capacity and the revenue was previously and and there are things you can do to separate people but at our core we exist to bring people together and when i think about the music um it's one thing to go to a play or go to uh, severance hall and sit in your seat and see the performance and then go and do something when you go to the Happy Dog or when you go to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse to see the Black Keys, you're drinking and eating, and that's part of the experience, too. And that's also part of the economic model. And so... Um, I know. so want to contribute to that economic model right now, Sean. <laughs> um, in, in all seriousness, though, Sean, we have a question here about, uh, it's very practical, and I hope not too um, mm -hmm. personal or proprietary when it comes to the Happy Dog, but how much money do you need? How much does a, a small independent venue in terms of a grant, like, what do you need? Mm -hmm. Well, we've, we've, you don't have to put a, done the research specific across, figure on it, but yeah. Yeah, no, no. Well, I can tell you, we've done the re research across the country for venues. Um, and it really doesn't matter whether you're a, a 200 capacity or a 700 capacity room. The numbers of the fixed costs of your mortgage, your, um, all of your utilities, your insurance, all of that 
generally comes in, our fixed costs are about 30,000 to 40,000 on average. Per month? month? Per month. And when you consider that there's no revenue coming in or very little, maybe some merch sales, um, that's a big number to, to have to overcome. But when you look at the size of the Save Our Stages bill, 10 billion in comparison to, to the big numbers that are out there, that number would cover all of these venues for six months. The idea is, is to cover six months of closure. Um, now we're able to get that number down by eliminating as much as possible. And like Angela said, you know, we're all survivors. We're all scrappy. We've, we've cut off the waste management pickup. We've cut off cable TV. We've cut off every expense we can to get things down to a drip. But that still means for us, with no salaries for anybody, 15000 a month mm-hmm. of expenses. Angela and Kyle, a final question. Please address the fact that while economic impact renewal is super important, the arts are a huge healing force to the community, reeling from a pandemic, a racial justice paradigm shift, and so many other challenges. Politicians should be focused on this aspect as well as economic impact. Not really a question there, but you can go ahead and agree and talk about it. And that's exactly right. And I think in normal times, we would be highlighting and pushing the public value that the arts provide because uh, that's why we're all in this. Um, it's not about money. You know, this isn't about, uh, even Sean is part of this too. It's, a, it's about a, a culture, it's a lifestyle, it's a passion. It's, it's giving back to community. Um, and, and so the arts are part of education. So this is an education crisis. This is a human service crisis. We deal with elderly and, you know, the aging population and Alzheimer. Um, recovery programs, homelessness, Um, you know, we're in every fabric of community. And so when the dominoes start falling, it's not only the individual institution and these jobs and the economy, you know, economic driver to local economy or state, you will feel it. It will be a ripple effect throughout community, throughout the state. Um, Ohio has a tremendous history and breadth and depth of arts and culture. Um, We're a leader in the country. Um, We're second to California with some of our institutions that are internationally recognized. Mm -hmm. And and Kyle said it perfectly, uh, you know, the opportunities that our um, students get by having these organizations in community and giving back in in showing a different way of life and showing that there can be a profession in the arts um, by going into elderly care centers, um, you know, I can Angela, go on and I, on. I, I know, I, and, and our radio audience can't see how, how much Kyle is nodding, uh, and I want to give Kyle just yeah, a quick ahead, chance. Kyle, We've only oh, got a go few ahead. seconds left. Go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> oh, no, and everything to what Angela said, but, you know, it's the joy of giving and receiving. That's what it comes down to for me. You know, um, as an artist, I receive so much from having an audience present to just throw me all of this energy, letting me know what they need. And then just being able to give what I can possibly give. And, you know, um, that's how I've been trying to show up in every way, whether it's with the elderly or young people or uh, collaborating with, um, you know, independent venues like 
um, the Happy Dog or Grog Shop or Mahal's just to stay afloat. So it's, it's it's across the board, just the joy of giving and receiving and well, getting and, through and, this. And of showing up. And thank you, Kyle, for showing up here at the City Club Friday Forum. Angela Maleka as well of the Ohio Citizens for the Arts. And of course, our partner for Happy Dog Takes on the World, Sean Watterson. Thanks to all three of you for your work and for joining thank us you. today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Been great. And a great shout out to Megan Van Voorhees on her last day at Arts Cleveland. She's been a tremendous Just snuck that in, Sean. Honest. Well done. Well done. <laughs> Thanks also to our members, sponsors, and donors who support our mission to create conversations of consequence. You can find out more at cityclub.org slash thank you. Also, I want to let you know that later this month, we're launching a project called Five Days for Democracy. It's a collaboration with the nine library systems in Cuyahoga County, inviting you to spend just a little bit of time each day for five days thinking about what democracy means to you, why it's important, and why it's worth fighting for. Check it out. Sign up at cityclub.org slash five days. I'm Dan Malthrop. Stay strong. Stay healthy. Please wash your hands and keep your distance and keep wearing a mask. Thank you. And stay close in your hearts if you can't be close in person. Our forum is adjourned. For information on upcoming speakers or for podcasts of the City Club, go to cityclub.org. Production and distribution of City Club forums on IdeaStream are made possible by the generous support of PNC, the Chautauqua Institution, and the United Black Fund of Greater Cleveland Incorporated.